You're listening to the Hello DTC Show presented by Beaconstack, a show where champions from consumer brands reveal their secret sauce for growth. This is where the best DTC stories are narrated from one successful brand to another. Hello everyone and thanks for listening to Hello DTC presented by Beaconstack. I'm Monica, Marketing Manager at Beaconstack, a solution that helps any CPG business activate a DTC channel for their business. So I believe building a connection with a brand is very similar to making a friend in real life. I remember the first time when I went to an undergrad college, I was scanning the classroom to find people who I could relate with. And that was followed by quick interactions with some of them that went on to, you know, building some sort of an affection and trust with them. And eventually they became friends for life. And I think the same is true for how we build relationships with brands. As consumers, we only pick brands that seem very relatable to us and offer some level of interaction that builds awareness, affection, and eventually brand loyalty. One brand that's acing brand relatability is Huron. It's a men's hygiene and wellness brand. And I mean it, it's the internet's best smelling men's product. Our guest today, Matt, co-founder and CEO of Huron, believes that education and relatability are a one-two punch. And we'll get to discussing that in a bit. But hey, hey, Matt, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much, Monica. Excited to chat today. How are you doing? Doing well. It's uh, you know, today is an interesting day. It's actually our second anniversary of Huron, so it's uh, it's an exciting day. It's very timely. It is. It is. Congratulations. Thank you. Cool. So, um, it's it's a great day to talk more about the brand. What do you absolutely love about it, and what has your two-year journey been like? Yeah. Geez. Um, I think to go through the full two years, it might require a little longer than a half hour, forty-five minutes. But uh, no, I mean, it's been. It's been an amazing ride. I mean, certainly <clears throat> learnings along the way, uh, but you know, I've been really pleased and impressed by how a small team of four have been able to kind of grow and scale this vision and mission, which really hasn't changed since day one, which is to provide amazing quality kind of personal care and grooming items to guys who are kind of figuring it out. So being that helping hand of sorts, and to your point in the intro, kind of building those you know, relationships, um, you know, in the example that you mentioned in university, uh, you know, you get the benefit of the in-person interaction. We do a lot of those things digitally, so that's a little bit more difficult, but doing what we can to kind of humanize the brand and make it feel more than just, you know, an assortment of personal care products that we're selling, you know, Huron means so much more than that. That's amazing. But from what I understand, for most men, just the simple act of walking into a store to, you know, choose skincare products itself is loaded with stigma. And in that case, uh, what does your marketing strategy look like? What has it been like? Because clearly they're not really uh, going ahead and searching for something like that. Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, I think, um, you know, we use traditional marketing outlets today. So if you think paid search, paid social, Facebook, Google, etc. So uh, you know, we don't have a huge retail presence today, um, so it's not necessarily walking into a Huron store to buy Huron. But, you know, I think I think what that means for us in the in the digital world and the D2C world, it's how can we tell a very relatable brand story or how can we position ourselves in a way that makes sense 
it's a you know it's a constant iterative process of trying new assets trying new creative and thinking about different ways that we can resonate with someone who may be a little bit more in the know in the skincare game which we certainly have plenty of those customers but also being able to serve and help guys who might be using the same mass market products that they've been using for 15 or 20 years so what i think what's unique about huron is we're able to kind of talk to both consumers without really morphing our voice necessarily. It's this grounded, relatable, down-to-earth approach that I think has kind of uh, been a, you know, a, a strong point of difference for us as we've continued to grow and scale. That's amazing. So so let's take a step back in, in understanding this. So so what's the level of education and awareness about skincare uh, you know, in men? Uh, to begin with, are they really actively looking out for a good face wash or a good shampoo? Yeah, I mean, I think... It really depends, um, and, and there's kind of a spectrum of, of you know folks who might have a routine that they've been practicing and refining for years, but at the end of the at, at the other end of the spectrum where you know I kind of first got my start in skincare, like I was just using the same products I had always used because that was the grocery store that I went to or the drugstore that my mom brought products at. Uh, so kind of interrupting that habit loop of sorts to say like how can we be a moment for intentionality how can we be a moment for pause and say like you know maybe i should be exploring something else so for us like in addition to the relatability aspect we have a unique angle in the sense that we really try and inform a lot of our consumers um but also just in products and in categories that are tangential to pure play skincare right like we have a series on instagram called let's talk about where we've mentioned things like mental health, humidity, and what that does to the skin. Let's talk about acne or body acne. Um, you know, so many different maybe problems and solutions that guys can deal with, but just like also, you know, topics um, that are very much in vogue and kind of talked about uh, in society. And I think, again, being able to kind of step away from just pure play skincare and have a, a broader approach has really kind of opened the eyes for a lot of our consumers and potential consumers. Um, you know, one of the things that, that we really like about the Let's Talk About series is we get obviously additional analytics on, on uh, Instagram in terms of what we call quiet engagement, which is sends and saves. Um, and a lot of the posts that we put up in the Let's Talk About series get an insane amount of engagement there where maybe a guy is not going to like a post on humidity, um, but he's really curious in the subject matter and like how that actually affects his skin. So I think being able to kind of establish ourselves not only as like a fun brand that's kind of, you know, disrupting, you know, the men's space in the sense that this is a very down to earth grounded approach, but also we can back it up with decades of know-how. Um, you know, my co-founder, Matt, spent 20 plus years developing products for Estee Lauder. So building some of the best products for the best brands in the world. So we can kind of channel that level of, of knowledge and know-how and bring it to a guy who's interested in kind of exploring the space a bit further, but might not know where to start. So uh, I think that, you know, to your point earlier, that one-two punch has really kind of resonated with our audience. Yeah, I think this this campaign, when we last spoke about it, uh, the last time when we were talking about it and you mentioned this, it was really mind-blowing. And then I went back and I looked it up on Instagram. And, and truly, I mean, it's, it's doing a great job of educating people. Uh, but you, you briefly touched upon, you know, how you measure it. Um, can you talk a little more about it? Because usually with campaigns like this, it's it's difficult to really measure the impact of it, right? So how are you doing that? Sure. Yeah, I mean, Instagram uh, allows you as kind of the brand owner a little bit more 
insights than you might see as a consumer kind of scrolling through the feed. So obviously we're all familiar with likes and comments, but on the back end, we can also see how many times that particular post was bookmarked or saved or sent, um, which we call shared. So we looked at uh, saved and shares uh, as a percent of total engagement. And for those posts, I mean, it can be anywhere from 25 to like 40%. So again, there might not be like the eagerness of a consumer to be like, oh, I really like this post on back acne because that's like obviously like kind of a touchy subject. Um, but maybe they're interested in because maybe that's a problem that they suffered with uh, over the course of, of a number of years. So they're very curious as to like what's kind of behind the scenes happening here. Um, and then maybe which products that we potentially offer in our assortment that can help them fight that particular issue. So, um, you know, for us, it's been a really powerful series. And I think it's something that we'll continue to lean into going forward. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. Um, sometime back, you also mentioned, and I, I totally resonate with that, which is keeping things simple and minimizing choice is, is truly an art. And I think one of the brands that, that did it very well uh, was Casper. And just one mattress, affordable pricing, and great customer experience, right? And Huron, in my opinion, is, is doing an equally great job at it. Uh, it operates in an industry where men are focused on, you know, convenience over, you know, uh, choice and, and just multiple products. Um, what do you think the other brands, you know, in the industry or outside the industry uh, get wrong when you, you know, talk about simplifying choices and, and just building relatability through that? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think Casper is a really good example. And actually, our first hire came from Casper. Um, so, and Johnny runs retention for us. He's done a great job. I, uh, you know, kind of repositioning the question a little bit, you know, I think instead of other brands that might have missed the mark, um, I think one of the things that we just realized about this category for us and for Huron is shopping for personal care or grooming products. Um, it's kind of comes at the point of decision fatigue, right? It's like oftentimes you make so many decisions during the day that the last thing you want to do is go to the store and buy body wash or buy face wash or investigate or educate yourself on like why should we buy this versus that. So I think that's where we have an opportunity to, to kind of circle back to that quick two, three, five second educational tidbit where can we provide value, but can we do it through a vehicle that's very relatable? And I think being able to kind of mesh those two concepts has allowed us to take what is otherwise like kind of a weird subject to talk about, like very foreign to a lot of folks, chemistry based, but then make it like all of a sudden very down to earth and relatable. And I think being able to again grab something that is so nebulous and then speak about it very casually is something that certainly resonated with our base because it always has been this category where it's like, I'm really interested, like maybe I am fighting some skin issues, but like I don't know where to start and I don't feel like I have the time to investigate all this stuff on my own. So I wish a brand would just tell me what to use and why and do it in a voice that speaks to me. And that's kind of what our mission has really been since since day one. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And um, I think it's it's very interesting what you have up on your website. It, it, it makes a bold claim saying that it's internet's best smelling product. And I'm curious to understand how did you uh, narrow down or how did you get to the point where you were like, okay, this is my USB. Uh, this is what I'm going to put on my first fold. It's, it's very interesting because I've rarely seen brands, uh, you know, who talk about something so basic, but so important. 
Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I think it it kind of came to us through a lot of trial and error, right? Like we we test a lot of things all the time, um, and copy certainly one of them. So it was actually just a few weeks ago, and we we're like, you know what? Let's change the homepage banner, and we're going to go with this. And we're like, cool, let's do it. Um, I think one of the reasons why <clears throat> a lot of customers and consumers have have appreciated Huron is because the level of complexity, but then the level of quality that comes from our fragrance profiles across the product. So, uh, you know, I said my, my business partner, Matt, our co-founder, I mean, in, in decades of building these products, he's got to know the world's biggest and best fragrance houses who we work with, who probably wouldn't otherwise work with a four person startup if it were not for him. Right. So that access has been hugely helpful for us. Um, and I think those sensorial elements in this category, have really been the hook for so many consumers to date, right? It's why do you use this product? And it smells good, but like maybe there isn't even a thought around it conditions my skin, or I really like the exfoliating factor of this particular face wash. It's, it smells good. And I like the way I feel when I use it. So, you know, in, in kind of some of the learnings from the, you know, the first year or so we were so focused on talking about, product quality and the level of ingredients and the clean ingredient profile, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which certainly resonated with a lot of customers, but we felt like we were missing a broader pool. So we kind of took a step back and said, you know, what are our customers actually telling us? And then how can we spin that to be kind of a lure or a hook for new potential customers? So one of the exercises we went through is we combed through all of our reviews across all products, across all channels. So on our site, on Amazon, on retailer sites that we partner with and said like, what, what, are, what is our base telling us that we might be missing the mark on? And kind of unprovoked or unasked, when we looked at Body Wash, which was one of our hero products, anything with relation to smell, fragrance, scent, was like overarchingly the number one facet that customers were attracted to or drawn to. So you're like, okay, well, this is really interesting because without giving any direction, this is kind of the common, the common uh, thread of feedback that continues to emerge. We should scream this from the mountaintops, right? So then we started incorporating a lot of that copy into ads onto the website, as you noticed. Um, some of our marketing insert cards, uh, even like high-level brand overviews that we send to potential partners, um, and I think that's been a huge win for us because now there's now there's a moment of intrigue, right? Like we've like, everyone knows like what they think smells good. So now there's like a, oh, well, if this is claiming to be the internet's favorite smell, like I'm curious to see actually how it smells. So now there's like a little clickbait element of sorts that maybe says like, okay, like I'm, I'm willing to give this product a try. Was that also user testing that you did around it just to, you know, confirm the hypothesis that you were building from all the, uh, reviews and everything that you were getting was that required so we we are fortunate in the sense we have a community of about a thousand customers um, which we've really leaned on for early product testing um, thinking about new iterations on packaging for instance you know if we should explore that route thinking about what new products customers would like to see from us going forward so uh, when we launched Hair, which was last November, that was really the first time that we kind of uh, solicited feedback in reviews before we actually went to market with the products, which was a super fun exercise. 
because we were able to send out basically like sample size bottles to close to a hundred, I think, different community members, maybe more. Uh, but we were getting early feedback around like, hey, I really like this element. I really like that element. And it was a total kind of open forum to say, okay, here, here are the elements or the aspects of this product that people are really gravitating towards. So while we may think that customers might find one attribute particularly interesting, like it's actually this thing that they're hanging on and really gravitating towards. So getting that kind of early buy-in from a lot of our community is pretty instrumental in thinking about how we've kind of positioned the products within the market from the marketing copy, the ad copy, the website copy even um, to make sure that we're getting off on the right foot as we kind of bring these products to market. And I think based on the success of that exercise, that's kind of now built into our launch strategy, which is, okay, T minus X number of weeks from launch, we have to make sure that we're getting product into the hands of our community members so that they can give these products a test drive and then offer feedback, reviews, et cetera, so that we can um, make any tweaks that we might need to make, but then also think about how do we articulate the benefits and the attributes of, of the new product. Yeah. A hundred percent, definitely. And also, I think another aspect or an important aspect of brand relatability is also the color because color is a powerful communication tool. We all know it, it doesn't, it, it just does not evoke, uh, you know, just emotions and feelings, but everyone has a favorite color. Everyone hates a specific color, right? So how, how important does, you know, color play a role um, when you're deciding what your packaging is going to look like, what the website color. So basically everything that that's brand color, how does that play a role? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it certainly plays a huge role. I think, you know, the, the brand building exercise that we went through in early 2018 was, was super interesting. And I think one of the, one of the tactics that we did um, and kudos to our, creative agency for kind of leading the charge on this front is we went out to every store. We bought so many products online and we just threw them all in a huge conference room table and said, what are the similarities here? Like, what does the market look like today? And I think some of the common threads that emerged, um, tall bottles, dark bottles, charcoal, black, you know, just like very traditional masculine type uh, look and feel. And we said, cool, let's be the exact opposite. So let's be short, fat, white, red, um, and let's see what we can do to kind of stand out. I think one of the things that was interesting and in digging a bit further, especially in relation to color scheme in this category, and especially for guys, red has historically been a color that's been shied away from a little bit. And our hypothesis was like red often kind of is you know, synonymous with like a blemish or a breakout, or like a pimple. And like, so like the concept of like red and skincare is kind of like, eh. Um, now Old Spice is like red, obviously in their bazillion dollar brands, they've done quite well. Um, but other than kind of that brand, there's there really weren't many brands kind of leaning into red as an accent color. So we're like, let's, let's kind of give it a whirl. So it's kind of funny that the red, white, and blue color scheme emerged, but that was actually not intentional. It was more of a way to like, step away from what everyone else was doing to figure out how we could be a bit different. That's, that's very interesting because honestly it does. And, and especially, you know, when you talk about skincare, uh, when it's a feminine product, it's, it's usually pinks and whites. Whereas when you talk about men's product, it's usually the charcoal and the dark blues, etc. But yeah, red, white, and, and uh, the royal blue, it, it definitely stands out. I think that's, that's doing a great job. 
um you also you also briefly spoke about in the beginning about user generated content um and and the the value it brings into you know community building and and of course keeping a community engaged is definitely hard um i think glossier does a great job at it where they had that glossier um in in real life initiative where every time their users use the product they would upload a picture and and it would be featured on their social media website everywhere uh euron also does a very good job at it you have a blog you have a newsletter subscription and you have an affiliate program so so how do you keep all of them uh, you know tight and how do you keep that community engaged all the time yeah uh it's difficult um i think from a from a blog standpoint that's something internally that we're drumming up um a few times a month i would say you know i wish it would be more frequent but it's hard it's difficult right because what we're trying to do in the blog is not just simply keyword stuff for seo but rather like again how are we providing value to the reader um so i think that's that's certainly an area that we've leaned into and we've enjoyed leaning into but it definitely is difficult to scale as a team for i think from the affiliate side we work with a partner on that front who's done a really good job in helping us kind of shout here on from the mountaintops right like how do we get in front of some of these outlets whether it's you know the men's health of the world or men's journal or we were in rolling stone recently which was amazing or the manual or series gq a series of outlets where we feel like our potential customers or consumers are reading anyways so how do we kind of get in front of them in a in an outlet that makes sense for them so that's certainly an important piece um and then on the ugc side you know whether it's asking our community for you know their favorite vacation photos where they're taking here on um or just honestly like we get inbounds all the time being like hey i brought my jumbo to like this place like i took a few pictures and we're like this is amazing like can we use these i think you know that almost immediacy of turnaround time has been, has been pretty fun to see and i think a, a lot of the folks who do send us content and assets really appreciate that uh but again the, you know the thought is kind of dialing back to the humanization element like it's not just good looking photos of bottles right like no one really wants to see that but it's like how am i incorporating here on in my day to day life like here's some jumbos like in this sick outdoor shower in hawaii like we posted a few days ago like the, the photos were amazing right so it's just a way to um kind of show appreciation for people who are sending us these assets by kind of championing them on our own internal uh internal outlets but also kind of figuring out how those pieces of content kind of play into the overall thesis and narrative which is a brand that has a personality that is down to earth that you can talk about in regular language and everyday speak uh and kind of tying all those pieces together again i think it's i think it kind of doubles back to the fact that we've hopefully provided a really good experience when that particular person ordered for the first time let's call it and then they really appreciated the product so from there it's on us as a brand to make sure that they come back for the next 5 to 10 years So how do we roll out the red carpet so that they feel like they're not just a customer of Huron that they're a part of Huron because I think for us in these early days you know in these first 2 years we've really tried to lean into things that are not scalable because when you can do those things really really well that is the best way to onboard your first few thousand kind of maniacal brand loyalists and then those people will then go tell all of their friends and family about Huron and they're 
the best word of mouth spreaders you could have. So it's like, how do you treat that initial few cohorts of people? And then now I think we're, we're kind of reaping the benefits of having rolled out the red carpet to, to these folks um, and given them a, you know experience that they've otherwise haven't really had in the personal care category. Yeah, I think word of mouth is, is truly an underrated uh, channel of, of growth and it, and it definitely works very well for a lot of brands. Um, also, like you said, you know, once, once a person makes a commitment towards a brand, there's also on the brand to give it back to them. Um, in, it could be in, in terms of whatever the brand thinks is, is right. But uh, you also have a newsletter. And from what I understand, it's, it's filled with educational stuff. So, so what does that newsletter look like? And, and what purpose does that solve for someone who, who's, you know, a, a part of the brand family? Yeah, um, I think it's kind of largely the same concept or premise of what we're doing either on the blog or the Let's Talk About series on Instagram. It's just a different medium, right? So with email, kind of like blog, there's a little bit of a longer form opportunity to talk about what's behind the scenes on the products, um, you know, doing a deep dive on particular topics, maybe similar to what we're doing in the Let's Talk About series. It just gives a different medium for a consumer to digest the information. I mean, some people prefer reading long, long form captions on Instagram. Some people hate it. Some people love digging into blogs. Some people don't ever read blogs. Some people open every email. Some people have all their emails sent to pr the promo folder, right? So it's just, everyone has kind of their own quirks or different ways to digest the information. And what we want to do is give people that optionality. I mean, DTC has a space is, is very, um, you know, non-similar to, you know, the, the typical CPG space and, you know, the B2B, B2C sort of world. So I'm just curious to understand when you send out a newsletter, what does the open rate or, you know, the typical uh, click-through rates for a newsletter going out in a DTC space look like? Because I think the customer is much more engaged with the DTC brand. So what were the typical numbers that one should expect? It's a good question. I, th I think our email person would probably be very upset if I told you, uh, but, but, but I, would, I would say this, we segment very granularly. And what I mean by that is we have a few different cohorts that we start. So like the very basic structure that we started was purchasers who are engaged. So if you've purchased from us and you open up emails frequently and read the content and click, like you're in one bucket. We have purchasers who haven't been recently engaged. So maybe there's uh, a group of customers who have purchased from us previously, but maybe haven't opened an email in the past month or so. We have leads, so people who haven't purchased but are engaged. They continue to open emails, they click, but for whatever reason, they haven't found that one thing that will kind of push them over the edge and ultimately purchase. And then we have leads that aren't really engaged. Um, and we treat those four cohorts very separately. And within each four cohort, we subdivide. So maybe it's engaged purchasers who first purchased the shampoo will get this email with the subject line. And that differs versus if you bought the body wash first. So there's a bunch of different ways that we segment. And what that allows us to do is create a much more personalized approach to these customers. So that if you, Monica, like if you made your first purchase as a shampoo, and you're getting a, an email that seems relatively tailored because it's about your first purchase being the shampoo and here are maybe other products that you would like, or here's a blog post that talks about the shampoo and why it's amazing. 
um, you're more likely to click and continue to open because you feel like these email campaigns are kind of addressing you on a one-to-one -one basis. So I would say that when we look at industry benchmarks across Klaviyo, who's our ESP, um, our open rates and click-through rates are incredibly strong, which I think that's uh, a tip of the cap to really good content, but I also think it's a tip of the cap to how granular we segment people such that it feels like a very personalized brand experience. So I'm kind of I'm kind of copping out by not giving you numbers, but uh, I hope they brought broad brushstrokes. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, I think that the cohort approach really helps. I think that's that's a very smart way of doing it. Also, you you have benchmarks for every cohort, so uh, any iteration that you make will be you know against the right kind of people, and it does not dilute against you know just a person who has not been active with the brand for long. So that that truly makes sense. I think this has been this has been very insightful, Matt. Thanks a lot for doing this. Is there a last parting thought for you know a new brand who is looking to establish uh, relatability as a narrative for themselves? Is there you know one tip? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I mean, I think um, if relatability, customer experience, is kind of part of the fundamental ethos of a brand, if that is your north star, I guess my one piece of advice would be to like not waver from that. And that sounds not that insightful, um, but when you go through this journey, every single decision you make has an opportunity cost, right? If you're talking to this agency, you're not focused on this. If you're focused on this, you're not talking to this agency. So the way that we continue to operate as a small brand is what are we ultimately doing for the person that we're trying to help? And I think if you look at things kind of through that lens, um, it allows you to say like, nope, we're not ready for that yet. Or this makes a ton of sense because like, I think this will really unlock a lot of value for that customer. So I think being able to understand how these discussions, how these potential partnerships, relationships, et cetera, will ultimately solve or serve that end mission. Um, is something that's kind of suited us well and allowed us to like really be lean as a team, but also be super efficient with our time and resources and efforts, um, which in the startup world, like everyone's kind of vying for your time, right? So if you can continue to keep your mission and your why top of mind at all times across the organization, then that's kind of like the best guiding light to help you determine like, are we ready to go pay for an agency on Facebook or should we continue to do it in house? Are we ready to go do this? Uh, I mean, I, I was chatting with my co-founder, Matt, this morning, just kind of talking about like the two years. Um, I mean, to think about what we've learned in two years has been insane. Like when, when we turned on our website, I had no idea what SEO was, like no clue. Um, and now we're like, we rip through SEO all the time, right? I had no idea what the back end of Facebook looked like. And now we're drawing up ads and creative and, you know, looking at click-through rates and CPMs. Like you just kind of figure it out. So I think for us, what's been really interesting is having that customer as the North Star has really allowed us to continue to lean into the relatability piece. And I think that's been a point of differentiation for us because it's that's never wavered. Like that has always been the case. So we really kind of stuck to our guns on that front and it's uh, it's paid dividends. Yeah, customer as a North Star, I think that's, that's the takeaway for me from here. 
and congratulations on your two years you're doing a fabulous job the brand looks phenomenal it's it's everything is is really working out very well <laughs> thank you thank you